your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Kind of excited, even though it's a Monday, <laughs> to uh, coming up on the show here in right after the first news break is going to be Aaron Rupar. He's an independent journalist. Uh, used to work for Vox. Used to work for oh, probably a whole bunch of companies. I think he. I, I don't know for sure, but I think I know he's from probably the Twin Cities. He might still live there, uh, so we could probably talk Timberwolves basketball. But he's going to come on here in a little bit. If you want to go follow him, it's at sign A T Rupar R U P A R on Twitter, and then Aaron Rupar. He also has uh, because he's an independent journalist. He's got to figure out a way to get his stuff out there. So it's AaronRupar.substack.com. And uh, he, he basically, I, I would say, he follows a lot of right-wing media and then posts a lot of clips and writes around what these people are saying. So kind of interesting. And we'll just get uh, his thoughts on, on covering politics that way. Maybe it's a new way to cover politics every, you know, as, we, t- as the, we, we dive further and further into the social media age and uh, everything is on video, and uh, there's multiple 24-hour news networks There's and, and stations like ours, right? We have news media talking all the time and bringing on politicians and others all the time. How do you wrap your head around it? Well, he's trying to get some of the highlights, and he's, he, you know, he's, he's covering a lot of this on TV, so a lot because video a little bit better. And yeah, so get his opinion on on some of that. But I want to before he comes on, I wanted to to bring up a couple of things. And Brad, I'll talk about this in the news too. But the uh, the lacrosse police. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll down the list of things that lacrosse police had to deal with this weekend. If I could find it, I have too many tabs open. But if you want to get in here too, six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the is the talk and text line. And they put out. Uh, they, they do this kind of inconsistently, but eventually, maybe you know, like it's it's kind of nice when they do this. It'd be it'd be great if they did it. It'd be interesting if they did it with everything, <laughs> but they have to pick the highlight. So there were 399 calls for service this weekend from Friday night to or for Friday until uh, Sunday night, essentially, or Monday morning, if you want, if you if you want to go that route. I gotta put these people on hold for a second. I might have hung up on. I might have hung up on everybody. Yeah, sorry. Call me back. <laughs> anyway, the 399 calls for service, and I'm, I just I just wanted to read through a couple of them. I should start at the bottom and work my way up. Uh, the bottom one is one Brad will read in the news. Uh, Powell Park uh, argument in Powell Park. I'm just gonna give you a real big cliff notes here. Uh, couple of people were arguing apparently another guy that says he was just kind of in the vicinity all of a sudden those people started arguing at him uh went back to get his gun and <laughs> went back to his car arguing kept going got his gun out wasn't sure if the other guy had a gun because that's the america we live in today if you're going to get in an argument you never know probably just best not to get into any arguments ever because everybody can have a gun so therefore you don't ever want to be in an argument, but this guy maybe thought the other guy had a gun, so he got out his gun, shot him in a leg. So that's where we're at today, uh, and that dude was in court today, and Brad will have a little update on wisdomnews.com on that. We'll go to the phone here, number, number three. 
radio. Turn your radio down. Thank you. Good morning. Hey. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, I was just talking about another shooting at Powell Park. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at the charges for them, and you're not supposed to have a gun in a park. That's a gun-free zone. Oh, what about my Second Amendment rights? Well, but there's a sign that says no guns in a park. All right, well, I'll take that to the Supreme Court. All right. Okay, then another one was discharged, just shooting a firearm within the city limits. You can't shoot a gun in the city limits. What if I'm trying to protect myself? Well, sir, there we go again about the laws, see? And then one other thing I want you to check on. The other night I drove down to Huska Park, okay? Are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Four cop cars down at Huska Park. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how many cops are on duty at night, you know, like 7 o'clock, but that's a lot of manpower to have at one park. Four cops. Yeah, usually when there's something uh, going on, more than one officer shows up. It's pretty Yeah, pretty well, typical. there were four of them down there, and I haven't heard nothing about it, so maybe you could check on it. All right, well, maybe it's in this in this list here. It's the first okay, one on this well, list. Okay, well, so. did you keep your powder dry over the weekend? Uh, did, it, did it rain? Not really. Ah, it rained Saturday. Yeah, it rained I'm, a little bit. I was, I was all right. All right, carry all right. on. Thank- right. Yeah, thanks. thanks for the call. 608-785-7914. I mean, this, it's the first one on the list. Uh, officers dispatched to Joseph Huska Park Drive. Uh, two people involved in an altercation where one hit another in the head with a chair. The suspect was placed under arrest for substantial battery and disorderly conduct. So, yeah. I mean, when, when fights happen, police show re- they respond in, in numerous in, in numbers. I mean, they're not going to show up alone. And if there's an altercation, they're going to call for backup, stuff like that. So... Uh, not not all that unusual. You will I will make that joke every once in a while. There's a car accident. All of a sudden, there's eight cop cars there, or a drug bust, or something, anything like pull. Someone's pulled over, and you're like, well, might as well head to the other end of town if I need to do any robbing, because all the cops are on the north end taking care of this guy they pulled over. So, um, another one of these. Uh, this is this might be the highlight of the of the list of the 399 calls for service police got, and I wonder what the average is, but uh, per weekend. But uh, officers dispatched to the Cross County Justice sanctions for someone pounding on the door. Prior to that, officer prior to the officer's arrival, the suspect had broken the glass to the door and entered the Justice sanctions lobby. Officer located the suspect inside. The suspect told police that they had that the police had a warrant and he was wanted and tr- there to turn himself in. Please look it up. He didn't have a warrant, and uh, he he wasn't wanted, but he is now, and so they had him. All right, we'll be back. Aaron Rupar. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line. If you want to get in here, shoot me a text. 608-785-7914. Let me get out of here. Stone Temple Pilots on the phone with me now. Aaron Rupar. Coming to me from, you know, like the Twin Cities area. If you, I could say force. Are you literally at the Dairy Queen, Aaron? I'm back home now. <laughs> uh, for, for people who, who uh, I don't know, if, Rick, if you mentioned this on the air, but Rick called me just to confirm that we were on for today. And um, it was right in the middle of my two-year-old having a complete crying meltdown at Dairy Queen. So I was very uh, curt on the phone and kind of said, hey, I'll talk to you in 45 minutes. But, yeah. Uh, and, made it back home. Um, we're we're all good. So. And and having never talked to you before in the ever, 
uh, I call you up and you know, as it, to me, Aaron, you're like this uber busy guy. You you just sit, you just hit seven hundred fifty thousand followers on on Twitter. Um, you're always posting stuff, so in my head, you're always just watching Fox News and. Uh, so I was like, wow, he's really, he must be at something right now. He's paying, no, you're at Dairy Queen and your kid's having a meltdown. So I was like, okay, I feel he is kind of human. He actually does have an actual life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to, yeah. I mean, I, I used to watch Fox News um, a lot more than I'm able to now, just having two kids, a uh, two-year-old and a newborn, basically. Um, makes it tough. You know, I just have a lot of parental, and they're home all the time, too, these days. We're trying to get the two-year-old in a daycare in the fall, hopefully. Um, so it's, yeah, juggling a lot, you know, um, I end up watching more of kind of the late night Fox prime time stuff than I do, uh, mid afternoon. Cause that's usually kind of like taking care of kids time. Um, so anyway, I apologize that, uh, oh, that was no. our first conversation was me kind of being like, Hey, I gotta get a phone right away. Cause my kid's yeah. dying, but, uh, you know, here we are. We, we made it through. I witnessed that yesterday at a Mexican restaurant I was eating. It was like, we were having a con- we were doing play by play on the meltdown from the family next to us. Um, anyway, so I wanted to get into, but before we before we head down, like your your expertise, so to speak, kind of what you do on social media and on your AaronRupar.substack.com, uh, where you now, now make your money because you're no longer working for uh, Vox. Um, you mentioned daycare, so I just want to bring this up because you you're a lot of a lot of stuff you do kind of goes after what Republicans say. You just kind of point out, hey, Republicans are saying this, but can I can we just go after Democrats for a minute when Democrats? Uh, we, when, when Joe Biden kicks this thing off, when he starts his, you know, presidency, Democrats have this plan for, for childcare, child tax credit, right? And then there's a plan for childcare. And then there's a plan for free school lunch. All this stuff seems to expire, uh, and, and not, not, not great timing here as we come up to the midterms. Just what are your feelings on, on the democratic side when some of this stuff, you know, we get it, here it is. Here's what we can do, and then it seems like it gets taken away. Not that Republicans are helping for with any of this, but that's what's going down. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And um, I'd have to kind of go back and jog my memory on this, but I recall with the child tax credit stuff that that was basically a point of contention with Joe Manchin in particular. Uh, and so there just weren't the votes there. I don't think they had 50 votes to extend the tax credit, which was so instrumental last year in lifting millions of kids out of poverty. So that was really kind of a bummer. And I think, you know, some of the criticism of Dems, we're seeing a lot of this now in the context of the abortion stuff, is like really oversimplified where, you know, a lot of progressives even seem to have this idea that, you know, Biden kind of has a magic wand or, you know, can kind of solve all of our problems. And it's obviously not that simple. But like this week, for instance, um, you know, I saw that there were some White House communications people who were tweeting about how, uh, you know, Biden's going overseas this week, but they're planning to have a bunch of events at the White House kind of focusing on inflation and what they're doing to fight inflation. And, you know, I saw some people criticizing that from the standpoint of, you know, it seems like um, kind of framing the stakes of this upcoming election in terms of abortion rights, in terms of democracy, you know, kind of making the contrast with Republicans on those issues would be a more constructive strategy than sort of talking endlessly about the thing that people are most upset about that you only have limited control over to begin with. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one little kind of annoyance that I saw today where it's like, why is the White House spending this entire week kind of harping on inflation, which is a losing issue uh, for Democrats right now, even though obviously the entire world is dealing with inflation. It's not like it's a uniquely American problem right now. But, yeah, I mean, that's more of a communications thing. I mean, certainly I think um, – you know, the fact that Democrats came out of the 
special elections in Georgia in early 2021 with 50 votes in the Senate and a majority in the House um, created very high expectations for what they could accomplish, um, you know, this Congress and over the first two years of Biden's presidency. And from the standpoint of a year ago, we were talking about, you know, a massive Build Back Better bill and, you know, really progressive legislation that obviously couldn't get over the finish line. Um, I think this past year has been quite disappointing after a strong start for Biden. And certainly I think the, the issues that you mentioned with, you know, some of the legislation with the child tax credit, with universal pre-K, things like that. Um, you know, I think it's valid to be kind of frustrated about that, even if I think the narratives at times is a little bit oversimplified in trying to blame Biden for that stuff. Which is the whole Republican strategy to going after anything, is they oversimplify everything, and the tagline is always one word, gas prices. I won't I won't ever raise your gas price. You know, it's something like that, and then obviously that's not going to help, but... Uh, you know, the the I, I call it trolling legislation. A lot of times Republicans in Wisconsin, especially, they, they do a lot of trolling legislation. They know Governor Evers is going to uh, veto uh, b- banning critical race theory, stuff like that. And, you know, Republicans are great at that. And Democrats kind of suck because they want to get into the weeds on what the issue actually is. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's tempting to kind of reduce politics to messaging. And I think it's, you know, I I would tend to think that's a little bit too simple of explanations for things, you know, that if you could just, there's like this idea that Democrats could just find the right string of words that it would kind of solve all the problems. And I don't think it's quite that simple. But I think Democrats generally really overestimate how invested and informed about politics kind of typical voter voters are. And so when Republicans latch onto something like the gas prices thing right now, or inflation or critical race theory, I mean, that's really kind of like, sufficient to win elections. And I think sometimes Democrats don't fully appreciate that. So, you know, I'm still kind of expecting this to be a pretty bad uh, midterm cycle. And that could obviously set up a lot of um, challenging times heading into the 2024 presidential election, not to mention, you know, the the clown show we could see next year with investigations of Hunter Biden and all sorts of silliness, um, which, you know, kind of reminds me of what the first two years of the Trump presidency were like when Republicans had control of Congress. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, kind of a tough year, I think. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I thought the, the Biden era kind of got up to a really strong start in early 2021 with um, the vaccine rollout and economic recovery. And it seemed like things were really on a good path. And then, um, you know, the pullout from Afghanistan, I think, you know, did some political damage, even if I think people generally supported that move. Uh, but it was sort of chaotic. And I think that sort of created an opening to question Biden's foreign policy judgment. And then, of course, we had, uh, you know, the COVID resurgence over the winter, which was really bad. And now uh, inflation, I think, is top of mind for a lot of people. So um, I was trying to point this out last week that, you know, it is kind of from one standpoint obscene that we are in this cycle now where it seems like our very democracy is at risk. And it's kind of an existential thing, election to election, not to mention, you know, women's rights being stripped. Uh, You know, now there's talk of maybe uh, SCOTUS going after same-sex marriage, things like that, and the fact that we might have an election here that's decided by gas prices, where U.S. gas prices relative to other comparable countries are actually below the norm. Um, you know, it seems kind of obscene that that's what we're talking about, but that's what kind of motivates your everyday voters, and so you have to kind of deal with people as they are, not as you would like them to be. Yeah, it's always funny, too, because we will they'll complain or will complain about gas prices and inflation, but then they'll take it to the next step, like the the the, stock, the shelves are empty. And I'm like, the shelves haven't been empty since we took all the toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. 
I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not getting Doritos today once in a while. I have to get the blue ones instead of the red ones. But the shelves aren't empty. It's just like, like sometimes they over the oversimplification. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, you know, but, but it's kind of, you know, the narratives that people kind of latch on to. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm a progressive journalist, but I'm here in a pretty red area of Minnesota. And so um, you kind of get a sense, at least in this area, of what public sentiment is like. I mean, you know, even in recent weeks, as more people are out boating uh, here on the, on the lake, um, I see a lot of people with F. Joe Biden signs and, you know, Trump flags and things like that. So, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, and I think there, there are many reasons, you know, the, the, the mood is kind of soured towards the, not only the Biden administration, but I think, you know, there's, there's this sense that Democrats have been kind of ineffective. And I think they have done, you know, some good things, whether it's the recovery bill early last year, like I mentioned, the, the COVID vaccine rollout. Um, you know, people have to remember how bad the pandemic was in January 2021 when Biden took over. But I think there is kind of a sense that it's been a little bit disappointing. And now um, the thing that I think is really kind of backbreaking for Democrats is the inflation issue, because that's something that's kind of hurting everyone right now. Um, even though, you know, it's a historically strong job market, we have really low unemployment. Um, so there are some good indicators. But when inflation is up at 7 or 8 percent, you know, that's eating into any raise that people are getting. And sort of making them question their their long-term economic situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a disappointing couple of years, but, um, you know, I think even but the one silver lining, I think, to the row, uh, row being overturned is that hopefully that can kind of galvanize people in a way similar to how the failed push to repeal the ACA did in 2018 when it was a big uh, Democratic wave election. I don't think we're going to see that, but... You know, if Democrats can even just hold on to the Senate, I think at this point that'll be a victory. We're speaking with Aaron Rupauer. He's an independent journalist. He used to work for Vox News, and and now he's just doing his own thing. Do you, I, I, I'm going to go to break here in a minute, here, Aaron. But do you can you make a living being a, an independent journalist? I you, I suppose having nearly a, a, you know three quarters of a million people on Twitter helps. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's been kind of the big thing for me is just having that huge audience that I can kind of tap into for subscribers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can check out my work. I, I do three or four newsletters a week, uh, com, covering mainly right-wing media and politics, the Republican Party. Um, I've been covering these January 6th hearings, each and every one of them, on Twitter with live video threads and then kind of doing recaps afterward and Q&As with experts, things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of journalists it would be tough, but when you have the sort of following that I have, you know, that kind of makes for a nice audience that you can draw from and, People who really support the work that I do are willing to pay for it, which is a good thing, too. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a success. I've been at it for about a year now. I left Vox last September and so far so good. So um, it's it seems like people, if you haven't uh, if you haven't already checked it out, please uh, check out my newsletter. And uh, I think if you're enjoying the kind of stuff that Rick and I are talking about, you'll like it. It seems like kind of the hardest and the easiest job. Like all you're doing is is cutting up the clips and putting them on social media and going, hey, this person said this. Like sometimes it's like talk about oversimplification. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it depends what I'm covering. Um, I always try to add context and fact checks when they're appropriate. So it's you know I'm trying not to do just kind of like straight stenography because I think that's part of the approach to political media that sort of got us into this mess. You know, not being able to kind of call politicians liars or uh, put things in their proper context. So I've had you know a number of years that I've been kind of doing this, um, and then. Oftentimes, like with the January 6th hearings, I'm covering them live on Twitter. And then, you know, like for the most recent one, I talked with Ryan Goodman, who's one of the founders of Just Security, afterward to kind of get his 
take on Trump's legal jeopardy and how these hearings are adding to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's quite as simple as just like cutting videos and posting them. But I do think that, you know, that is obviously a part of what I do. And I kind of provide that service for people who generally are too busy to kind of watch all this stuff for themselves so they can go to my Twitter account or pull up the newsletter and get the highlights uh, well, afterwards. And we'll get into it in a minute. But that's that that was kind of where I wanted to go is just to, like we all live in this echo chamber and you're. You're in you're in one chamber, but you're you're covering the other one and trying to tell the one side, hey, well, here's what the other side is covering. Uh, like, here's what Fox News and here's what Republican politicians are saying over there. That that channel that you're not watching. Um, anyway, I got to take a quick break. We'll continue with Aaron Power when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight. 785-7914 is the talk and text line. Aaron Rupar still on with me. No meltdowns during the break from his two children. Uh, Aaron, are you are you recovering from a Golden State Warriors victory with Andrew Wiggins on the team as we give them two players and the Timberwolves get back, you know, a point guard that doesn't pass the ball? Uh, you know, I was actually okay with that because um you know, as a diehard Timberwolves fan, I'm actually a season ticket holder. And, you know, other than the years I lived in D.C. have been pretty much my entire adult life. Um, he just had to be traded. Um, so I don't really regret that trade or have kind of second, you know, second thoughts about it. And so I was actually happy for him. Um, so, no, I don't really have any, you know, I'm, I'm more recovering from the fact that the Timberwolves blew three double-digit fourth-quarter leads in the first round. Um, I think that's where the PTSD is coming from these days. Yeah, definitely. Like, that one's hard. I, I'm kind of happy for Wiggins, too, because he goes to a team and they teach him how to play basketball. I'm like, man, if the Timberwolves you know, taught people how to play basketball, it'd be great. It helps to have Steph Curry, though. So anyway, nobody wants to hear my – we could put you on the sports show and we could talk basketball all the time. I'd love it. Um, but anyway, it was before we went to break, and Aaron Rupar, you can find him at Aaron, at – well, you know what? I don't know if I have your Twitter handle up, but at Aaron, uh, go ahead. At Rupar, At Rupar. Okay, At Rupar. I wrote everything else down, but uh, he's got seven hundred fifty thousand followers there. He just hit that. He just surpassed that mark. And better, better yet, if you want to get all this stuff, AaronRupar.substack.com uh, because he's an independent journalist. That's how he makes his money, and you can do it for free too if you're cheap like me. Um, but. But can you talk about maybe did 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 you do something on social media? Did you do something and you're covering this? Maybe it was just you that you worked for Vox that really hit on Twitter that that kind of started you to get a, a big following. Yeah, I mean it was definitely my coverage of Trump. Um, you know, because I was doing that before I was at Vox. That kind of got me to Vox. Um, doing just kind of all the video coverage that I was doing, whether it was his rallies, you know, the White House press briefing you know, congressional hearings. Um, uh, when I started doing the sort of video work that I do, where I do kind of big threads of events, you know, sort of like highlight packages almost that are pretty close to in real time so people can follow along or, you know, repost my videos, that sort of thing. Um, there were very few people doing that back in 2016, 2017. Um, now there's a lot. So it's a much more saturated marketplace, but I was kind of early in doing that stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I really, you know, since I started doing video work um, in 2017 was when I really kind of started doing it full time. Uh, my Twitter account basically grew exponentially all the way through the Trump years. And, you know, it's been a little bit slower now, um, especially, you know, like the White House press briefings these days are quite boring. Um, so they don't make for kind of like good video content in the same way that they did 
during the Trump years. But, um, you know, I'm still kind of immersing myself mostly in right-wing media, but I also have my eyes on CNN and MSNBC and kind of bringing highlights to people. But, yeah, it was really the Trump stuff that kind of, you know, prompted me to go from, like, having a couple thousand followers to enough followers where I could go independent. And, and you're not the only person on social media or news network that, that really benefited from, you know, Trump hysteria, I guess. Uh, and, and just, like, what's Donald Trump going to say today? And we're even kind of still feeling that as uh, we had a Trump rally over the weekend where the, the woman says, like, something to oh, the, God. to the the you know, white life. I don't, you know what, like, I like oh, I misspoke. And I'm like, did you really? Because the crowd really cheered when you said that. Yeah, well, it would, it would be easier. Her name is uh, Mary Miller. She's a congresswoman from Illinois. And it would be easier to buy the I misspoke thing if she wasn't best known for praising Hitler before. So, um, you know, it's kind of where at a certain point you lose the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, if you're someone who is best known nationally for praising Hitler and you say, you know, that the abortion ruling is a big victory for white life, um, and then you claim that you misspoke, you know, it's just a little harder to buy that than it might be if it was someone else who didn't have that background. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, there's still a Trump rally. I actually watched his speech um, later on that evening on Saturday. I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched it later on. And, I, you know, i got to say, they're a little bit, um, you know, he's not the president anymore, so what he says isn't as important as it was, you know, two, three years ago. Uh, but it's kind of boring, honestly. I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same old stuff. I mean, his material really hasn't changed in years. And so, you know, I think people kind of assume that Trump will be the Republican nominee if, if, if he runs again. I think he will. But I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I mean, I could definitely see someone like Ron DeSantis beating him in a primary because, first and foremost, I think people aren't as invested in this lying about the election and the election was stolen from him stuff as Trump is. I think the party has kind of moved on from that, even while they're passing, you know, voter suppression bills and bills that give Republicans more control over how votes are tallied uh, in red and purple states. I just I don't feel like it's an animating issue for your typical Republican as it is for Trump. Well, and I think that that could hurt him in a primary. Well, I'll stop. I'll, I'll just bring up uh, in Wisconsin. I don't know how much you pay attention to Wisconsin politics. Obviously, it was a big deal over the weekend, but uh, taxpayers are on the hook for over a million dollars now as the Republicans in the state assembly are, are, have hired this uh, former Supreme Court judge of the state, Wisconsin Supreme Court judge, to look into the election. And now they've had to put it on pause because he has so many lawsuits against them. And he's deleting emails and texts. And uh, he was working out of a, a public library computer and working with his own personal email account. So we we could do the his emails, but we don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know. Have you Have you paid attention to Michael Gableman at all? You know, I pay attention to Wisconsin politics Pretty close, but not to that level of granularity, I wouldn't say. I mean, being from Minnesota, I've always kind of viewed Wisconsin as like a sister state. Um, you know, we have, it, it, only that Republicans have been a lot more successful there for a variety of reasons. But we've had similarly kind of fringe Republicans here in Minnesota, but they haven't been as successful in winning elected office. Um, we haven't had a Republican here who has won a statewide election since 2006. Uh, when Tim Pawlenty did it. So it's been a long drought, um, and obviously that isn't the case over in Wisconsin. And, of course, the legislature is so gerrymandered that um, you know, Republicans kind of have that. Um, you know, the, the deck is kind of stacked for them. But, um, you know, where we are here in Minnesota, I'm only like a 10-minute drive from uh, Osceola. It's just across the border. And now with, you know, kind of the uncertainty over whether abortion is legal or not in Wisconsin, um, I'm assuming that there will be women who travel across state lines over here to Minnesota for reproductive health care. So, you know, I was just kind of thinking 
about that over the weekend in the context of, of current events. But no, I haven't followed that particular story in Wisconsin, but that sounds pretty on brand. Yeah, you might you might just want to just read like find find the uh, the the equivalent of Vox explains because I think Vox they still do that. Obviously, you're not there anymore, but the you know like you know here's what Wisconsin's doing with the Republicans are doing with the election uh, of 2020. Um, let's talk about Ron Johnson a little bit. I'll just stick with uh, Wisconsin politics. What's your take on his role in and his, you know, his kind of changing narrative of like, I, I didn't know what I was handing Mike Pence, even though you, maybe you should know what you're supposed to directly hand to the vice president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think that the story that he has offered there, obviously, I'm sure you've talked about it, is, is wildly implausible that, you know, some random intern would have that level of authority to be handing things to the you know, an aide to the vice president. I mean, that just doesn't really pass the smell test, not to mention how he, you know, was pathetically trying to run away from reporters asking him about it and, you know, took him a day to kind of figure out what the story was going to be. So, yeah, Aaron, he was he was coming on my show that day <laughs> and then uh, yeah, canceled yeah, for some that. reason. That would have been, uh, I, I regret, I, I regret that that didn't happen because yeah. I would have been very curious to hear. I mean, you could have made big news there, actually. I could have, and al- um, also I could have totally blown it because I would. I just wouldn't have. It would the scope of it happening that day maybe have been beyond me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's always you know. I'll definitely uh, tune in if you can ever get him on your show because he is you know he's on a lot of right wing media. He's on Fox News constantly, Fox Business. I mean, he even does the Newsmaxes and OANs, uh, but. I have not seen him do a lot of interviews with kind of, you know, more reputable sources or, or sources that will ask him tougher questions. Um, you know, it, to me, it's just kind of shocking that he is even really um, that, that, you know, because th- there was a lot of speculation, obviously, that he wasn't going to run again. And then he decided to run. And, you know, to me, it's, it's kind of shocking that he even has a chance to win reelection, given that, you know, I think he's kind of one of the most out there members of the Senate in terms of going on TV, pushing conspiracy theories, kind of really just having a negative agenda of investigating Hunter Biden and, you know, all this sort of silliness. And um, I just don't really know what constructive work he's doing for his constituents over there in Wisconsin. But, you know, I guess that's just kind of the state of our politics these days that, um, you know, if you yell gas prices loudly enough um, and you're not in power, that that can be a winning electoral strategy. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely, uh, you know, I, I kind of... Um, have to disown him a little bit because he's actually originally from Minneapolis, I believe, and he went to the U of M. So, uh, you know, he has that very Minnesotan accent with the elongated vowels. Um, so, you know, he sounds like one of my uh, town people here in, <laughs> in exurban Minnesota. But, uh, you know, we uh, we disavow him here. He's uh, your guy's problem now. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, he, he does this and a lot of Republicans. But can you just talk about how they I don't want to call it manipulate the right wing media, but they, they, they do say the right things to get, to get on, right? Like I'm going to tweet this out and then Fox news or all those other channels will, will grab me and put me on that day. I mean, it's, it's, they kind of do a great job manipulating the media in that way. Absolutely. And, and, you know, he's been one of the leading people in Congress with the Hunter Biden stuff and kind of like, we must investigate, investigate Hunter Biden's business dealings and, you know, whether or not there's any connection with his father. And, you know, it's one of these, you know, the, the way that it basically works, if you're someone like Ron Johnson, is you use your power as an elected official to send a letter, you know, to a government agency kind of asking for certain documents or we're investigating this. And then that can be picked up by the Fox Newses and Newsmaxes of the world as a major news event, because obviously you're a U.S. senator. And so what you say and do matters just kind of inherently because of the power that you have. And so it kind of becomes 
this echo chamber of, you know, they cover the stories that uh, Republicans want them to cover. Not that, not, there's any, not that there's any big conspiracy, but it's just sort of the way that this thing works, where it becomes kind of this closed system. And, um, you know, with Ron, Ron Johnson specifically, um, you know, he has been one of the leading purveyors of, you know, we must investigate Hunter Biden. We must subpoena all of the administration officials, you know, if Republicans retake the House and kind of do these sham investigations. And so um, it's kind of like the optics of accountability and doing accountability work for your constituents. But um, really, it's kind of a way to get on TV and to sort of build your brand. And then, of course, he goes on Fox these days and will plug his campaign website and sort of fundraise based on his appearances. And so you know, that's just kind of the way that right-wing media works in our age of cable news. And, you know, he's one of the most effective senators in kind of leveraging that. We're speaking with Aaron Rupar. You can follow him on Aaron. Uh, wait a minute. Here we go. AaronRupar.substack.com. I want to make sure there wasn't a period there. Or A-T as in Tom Rupar at Twitter. Um, let's. Can I just reel it in for, like, I got like three minutes here. Minnesota, two things. Uh, my congressional district race. I don't know how much you pay attention to this, but Jim Hagedorn passed away of cancer. His wife yeah. was one of the people running. Uh, didn't didn't win a primary, uh, you know. To, but she was somebody affiliated with a child sex trafficker, and more than one occasion got ousted as the chair of the Republican Party in the state. Um, but on the Democratic side, running in in my district here for Congress is a on the Democratic side is a former CEO and a White House. Uh, George Bush White House lawyer like do we like what is that like how does that even happen in in a in a democratic race That's interesting I haven't followed that race super close obviously I'm familiar with the late uh former representative Hagedorn and uh uh Carnahan uh Jennifer Carnahan his his uh, uh widow at this point but no I haven't I haven't followed that closely but I mean it's a very red district um so I'm not surprised that Democrats would try to run someone who kind of has those uh you know Bonafides of being a business person and uh, you know CEO that sort of thing. So that doesn't shock me. Um, I'm you know it doesn't seem like Republicans have a wonderful candidate for that district as well. I'm not exactly sure because that used to be Tim Walz's district if I'm remembering yep. correctly. Yep. And um, you know so obviously a Democrat has represented that that district in the recent past. Well, that's but, fine. Uh, we can we can just move on. I mean, you're not like if yeah. if you don't know, you don't know. But like, let's go to the yeah. Governor Walz. Obviously, going to be in a in a race here for governor against Scott. Scott Jansen, I believe. Jensen, Jansen. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think of the Republican uh, n- nominee here? He's pretty out there. I mean, he's a doctor who you know is one of the leading purveyors of COVID misinformation um, in the state. Uh, obviously, he's running with Matt Burke, the former Viking, uh, who kind of brings a level of name recognition to the ticket. Um, but Burke is a guy that I think Republicans would have loved to run for statewide office here on his own. But if anybody who is listening follows him on Twitter, you probably understand why that isn't happening, because he's not the brightest bulb, I wouldn't say, even though he went to Harvard, has a penchant for kind of putting his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing. So, uh, you know, I think Walls has done a pretty good job, and, you know, I'd be surprised if he ends up losing. But I think, uh, you know, things in Minnesota haven't been – I mean, anybody who's followed, obviously, the George Floyd stuff um, – there's been a lot of issues, especially in uh, you know the Twin Cities area over the past four years, basically. So I don't think it's a given. But like I mentioned earlier, um, a Republican hasn't won statewide election here in now 16 years. So um, I have a hard time believing that Walls would be the person who ends up losing to break that streak. But it's going to be a really tough environment, I think, um, across the country for Democrats, just given that things aren't going great. And when you're in power, you know, you end up being blamed for that stuff. So 
I don't think Jensen is a wonderful candidate, but that's been a problem for the Republican Party here now for 16 years, that they just haven't had uh, that sort of candidate who really has kind of the, the star power, um, you know, to beat someone like Tim Walls, who represented a relatively red district, or at least a purplish district, and you know, has a military background, and has done a, an effective job as a governor here. So I'd be surprised if he loses, but again, it's a tough environment for Democrats yeah, in, across the country right now. In Minnesota, of all states, you, you said it, but also, like, hey, maybe don't run the most right-wing guy to, to go against the Democratic governor. Maybe go down the middle a little bit, kind of like my district is for Congress. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that was kind of Tim Pawlenty's uh, formula, um, was that, you know, he was, he was known as kind of like a moderate Republican. I mean, if you paid attention to the primary, there weren't really any great options. Um, and that's kind of been the problem. I mean, even, you know, Keith Ellison, who wasn't a great candidate for attorney general, uh, was up against this guy, Doug Wardlow, who, you know, is like on um, Steve Bannon's show and is kind of this far-right conspiracy theorist and sort of this, like, Christian fundamentalist guy. Um, so even though I thought, you know, Ellison was a very beatable candidate, in the last election cycle, the Republicans just didn't have a candidate who kind of, you know, could even defeat the very vulnerable candidate. And right. that problem still persists this year. And Jensen is kind of a product of that as well. All right. That's Aaron Rupar. Aaron, thanks a lot for joining me, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. You can follow him at AaronRupar.substack.com. That's going to wrap it up for a Monday. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for listening.